I occasionally think how quickly our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. And yet I ask you, is not an alien force already among us? What could be more alien to the universal aspirations of our peoples than war and the threat of war? Welcome to Thought Speak, a podcast dedicated to two grown men diving back into the books of their childhood and seeing what holds up. My name is Coleman. And I'm the other guy, Mitchell. And I can honestly say that we're going to have a super, super awesome episode right now. And there is going to be conflict, uh, perhaps some resolution. Ooh, I don't know. Uh, there's going to be lots of arguments, I can guarantee, between the two of us. And uh, I'm just going to say it up front. It's because the the subject of tonight is uh, book 46 of the Animorphs, The Deception, an amazing book. And if anyone says otherwise, they're wrong. And uh, See, I, I make one little comment about what I may feel about this book. And you're going off making it seem like we're about to have this big battle royale. You know what? Which is 100 percent true. Yes. Yeah, let's do it. Um, I mean, first though, we were super excited though, about the the previous episode in which you gave a four and I gave a empathetic five, but uh, this is gonna be nuts. Okay, what what are you gonna do? You wanna you wanna thank the Patreons first? I would like to thank every single Patreon member and subscriber by way of you looking at your screen and thanking them by name. That's that's the way I'm accustomed to doing it, my friend, and you're in luck. Uh, just really quick checking out. Oh, Daniel says, so it begins. Yes, we are live streaming once again, and uh, you can check that out on YouTube. <laughs> just anywhere on YouTube, you'll find it. If you type in YouTube anywhere, text document, whatever, you'll see us. Anyway, I am going to start. If you go on, just, just to clear that up if you go on youtube and type in thought speak or thought speak podcast you will find us pretty quickly just type uh, we just do not have a andalites <laughs> that won't work hashtag won't work at all hashtag i want that book <laughs> uh we uh we don't have enough subscribers to have our own channel name yet uh but all coming soon you know the more you spread the word the more you leave us a review on itunes or wherever you listen to podcasts uh the faster we'll be able to get that very special uh, YouTube channel name. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And the people that keep us running, keep everything going, are the Patreon subscribers. And as such, I am going to take some time and thank them very quickly. We've got some odd names on this list because it's Patreon. We don't get, you know, full names. So we, right off the bat, we want to thank Toasty Flatworm. Uh, let's say, uh, oh, man, my keyboard is weird in that every time I advance with the up arrow, it, like, pages up instead of you know scrolls up so i'm sorry maybe use uh your mouse your your computer mouse uh fun fact uh i have a new laptop and there are not enough usb ports on it i still need to buy one of those usb hubs uh so i have to sacrifice my mouse whenever i do one of these recordings anywho <sighs> still want to thank peter show i want to thank noah troutman tim Aheen, ari shy oh man that one just confounds me what is that 
Ari Shag, okay. Amanda Mimic, Jeremy Baxter, Tomb Juice, Canicula, Josh Blount, Tony Bazak, Kendra, Ben Freeman, Jason Thompson, uh, James Miola, Jennifer Baker, Kelly Brown, Kevin Koslowski. Uh, let's also thank Andrew Walker, David C. Graith. Uh, it's hard to tell sometimes if people have paid lately or not. Daniel Martinoli, for sure, is with us. Nita Labrada Gaffaro, hopefully we'll be tuning in later. Michael Blumick, uh, Sundown, and, uh, no, it's Sundown. We don't thank you. Well, we thank you. You gave quite a bit of money. Uh, Steve, Steve Adams as well. All these people keeping the show afloat, uh, letting us progress on to the next stage of the Thought Speak podcast, some would say. Oh, yeah. To give you guys a little hint at where this is going, and I'm sorry for you audio listeners, you won't be able to see this. Uh, I just picked this up today in uh, excitement for for what we might be handling in the near future. So just to give you a little hint. And uh, for for the audio listeners, I'm holding up a a new copy, and by new I mean used, uh, of Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Uh, collected from folklore and retold by Alvin Schwartz. If you had told me that you planned ahead to pick up your copy and hold it up, I'd have gone and grabbed mine from my bookshelf around the corner. But well, I wasn't planning that. I wasn't planning on doing that. But uh, I had it right next oh. to me, so went ahead and grabbed it. But that's just one of the many books that we are planning for post-Animorphs um, reading, I guess. Oh my god, absolutely. These these books, you know, a lot of us, I think, grew up reading them right along with Animorphs around that age. Uh, those books all hold a special place in my heart. I know they were some of the earliest books I checked out of my library. And uh, a lot of people don't know this, but the artist that does that really iconic, creepy art is from Minnesota. So, home connection. Yeah, always good to see... Um the local talent uh, get big like that. I mean, we got Guillermo del Toro uh, directing a new film based on just those stories. So I'm excited to jump in. I've never read them before. Uh, I knew of them. They're super famous, but I've, I've never read the book and uh, excited to jump in and check them out. But uh, that's little, still a little down the line. Let's Today we got uh, one of your, I think you're used to it, uh, Animorphs, uh, the Animorphs series. We're still reading those ones. So Yes, we you- are. Many of you are Animorphs fans who found this podcast because you were excited about Animorphs, and uh, we're not done with it. We're not done being excited by Animorphs, but uh, yeah. I'm going to attempt to excite everyone in this episode. Uh, So, like we said, it's Animorphs number 46, The Deception, an axe book. And uh, interestingly enough, with this book, uh, the... Order of narrators actually changes um, for the rest of the series from this one on. Little uh, tri- really? trivia for you, yes. I didn't know that. Uh, it 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 used to be. Um, uh, I, the order was Jake, Rachel, Cassie, Tobias, and Axe, and then after this one, it switches to Marco. Uh, oh, wait a minute, I'm sorry. Marco last there in that progression. And after this one, it switches to Axe, Jake, Rachel, Tobias, Cassie, Marco. Well, I think they really came here at the end of the series and um, went plot by plot each book. Who who would it be best to tell the story from? So uh, it makes sense that they changed it up a little bit. There's no reason to have a certain order to the books. Um, so, well, there, there was know. when they started out. Otherwise, you would have had probably more 
books from a certain character's perspective. If they didn't actually have a release system, they'd be tempted to say, release a Jake book, Marco book, and then another Jake book. And then, uh uh-oh, you've alienated your female readers. A little bit, maybe. I know you probably. Yeah, and like I, I can see like if you got a Cassie book coming up, that's a certain type of story you're going to tell. So I can see how that might influence what plots they're going to go with or how they're going to do something. So uh, just so you know, before we get into talking about the book, um, you're going completely off your summary. I don't have it in front of me, so you're going to be kind of leading us plot wise through the book, uh, and I will comment and chime in as I, I, I want I, to do. I, I figured. I figured that's usually my role. I like it. I'm kind of the DM of this uh, podcast i like to think of myself Ooh. as um i like that i quick, like that quick question though you don't have my notes you're not using them or you just didn't pull them up what i didn't pull up in time we're in the middle of the podcast so we're just gonna we're gonna go full on that way how difficult is it to open up your evernote whatever <laughs> i'm not connected to evernotes anymore so that's that's a whole other issue oh so, so i guess it is whatever note no <laughs> I, I loved using your Evernotes, but that's why I had you, like, you know, put them in the chat window and stuff so I could see them before. But that's neither here nor there now. In You're the neither here nor there now. <laughs> okay, um, so uh, then do you want to read the back of the book? Uh, yeah. Give, give one second. Why don't you uh, set us up real quick with the uh, what your thoughts are on the cover of the book and how that looks. Oh, yeah, that's, that's a thing. So, um... This cover is actually pretty flippin' unique, I would say, in that uh, Axe is morphing a human. And what's more is it's like a human in some kind of suit, uh, like a, I guess it's a flight pilot suit, obviously. But, you know, as a kid, you wouldn't you wouldn't outright recognize that as being a uh, fighter pilot suit. Anyway, uh, you see Axe morphing some other human right off the bat, and you're like, whoa. Uh, this is going to be a, a bit of a different story. The the cover morph is not an animal. And uh, the tagline on it is, the Animorphs have never met Visor 2 until now. And it's like, whoa, new character? Woo! This is going somewhere. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting that, A, that little tidbit is on point with what the plot is. That's usually not the case. Uh, and B, I mean, yeah, we, we've seen other books where Axe is morphing something else, but... Uh, to have Axe morph in human in a flight suit, that's that's pretty different. Uh, and I do like the coloration. It's kind of a green and, like, orange-red. Um, yeah, it looks pretty nice. No, yeah, the colors on uh, this cover are really cool. But actually, if uh, if if you check out Seropedia, um, they have the different covers. And the UK cover is actually pretty unique in that it is the same, you know, morph transition but they went with a little bit brighter of a background scheme it's like this red with purple swirls and um it just it reminds me of like uh the old adam west batman uh whenever there'd be an on-screen uh transition or sound effect you know how it did the 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 whirl and yeah it it looks like one of those effects but with axe morphing flying at the the camera (laughs) That's awesome. I mean, that, that'd be great to see. Thank you for bringing us a little international flavor uh, to this episode. I, I Look, I really investigated uh, Seropedia on this one because I frankly love this book so much and I wanted to find out more about it. And yeah, I just the UK cover struck me there. It's pretty funny. Well, let, me, let me read the back of the book. Let me jump into the summary. Um, sure. So, 
Uh, the Animorphs and Axe have managed to contact the Andalite homeworld, but the battle's far from over. Vizzer 2 has arrived on Earth, and he's not happy about the state of things. He decides the best way to take over Earth is to have the humans destroy the people and the land the Yurks don't need. He decides to start World War III. Axe and his friends know that Vizzer 2 means business, and there will probably be uh, only be two ways to keep him from destroying everything they know. Find a way to stop the war, or find a way to stop him. Forever. Now... That's pretty hardcore because it implies they're gonna just um, kill Vizzer too. Just that's that's where we're at. It's uh, kill or be killed. Well, when the back of the book directly references World War Three as a possibility, you know, like this isn't any beginning of the series kind of stuff. This is, I mean, the the war is full on progressing now, and, and this now, book is I a mean, major progression of it. Let me say outright before we even get into the book's summary. In my mind, I felt the opposite. I felt the last book really progressed us forward into the end game, whereas this book could have been a ghost-written story somewhere in the 30s or 40s. Like it didn't really play into the end of the series that much. Oh my! Oh my! God. Really? Re- oh boy! Oh boy! We're gonna we're gonna have some fights here, man. Uh, I can't believe you say that, but okay. <laughs> yeah, that's that's why I'm putting my flag in the ground. But uh, let's see if I'm wrong. Let me, you know, convince me. Let's let's go into the book. I, I shouldn't have to convince. I shouldn't have to do any convincing. Just telling you what's going on here and how much I'm about to geek out. Like, if you don't feel like geeking out with me, there's something wrong with you, bro. But uh, <laughs> okay, so the the under the under the flat picture, which again I can't see mine because again I bought another copy that has like the makeshift clear tape uh, cover on it, so I can't actually access the flat. But again, through the magic that is Seropedia, I see that it's a, a scene from the book where they're on the uh, the jet tarmac, you know, uh, about to steal the jet. I just real quick, uh, Daniel is. Uh, flipping out in the comments, I think taking your side. Uh, but I just want to just want to point out, I will answer all of those in time, Daniel. And I have um, I have reasons for thinking all of those. I, I agree with you. There's there's a couple of those that are very in game material. But <laughs> no, this is par for the course. This is exactly what I thought was going to happen. And I agree. Don't worry, Daniel. I'll sway him. We'll get this. Okay, we'll we'll see. We'll see. Go ahead. Good. Let's start into it. <laughs> Very well. Uh, And this book is called The Deception for a reason. I mean, this is like, it's it's my favorite Axe book, I think. Uh, Whoa. Depending on what his next book is. This cannot be your favorite Axe book. Oh, absolutely it is. Absolutely it is. This one is just, oh, oh, man. This could be a Michael Bay movie. I don't like a good Michael Bay movie. That's my problem with it. You just said exactly <laughs> what my issue with the book is, dude. If Michael Bay made a good movie, kind of like the first Transformers, I guess uh, it, it could be this. Anyway, let's. So this start- boils down to hold on. This is good, this is what the argument is going to boil down to. I think that this is a bad Michael Bay movie, and you think this is a good Michael Bay movie, like The Rock versus Transformers, you know, five or six or whatever they did before bumblebee yeah yeah i know um but i mean i'll just i'll present my case as i go and like i said i got a lot of uh a lot of little doggy earmarks here that i'm gonna do a lot of dramatic readings for you all tonight if you're tuning in live it's gonna be a good show it's gonna be a good show so uh where do we begin uh i know at the beginning 
and it picks up right where the last <laughs> book left off. Uh, which, as you recall, they, they made contact with the Andalites finally. This is kind of, again, huge thing. We just discovered, uh, uh, humans discovered Z-Space travel. Marco's dad did, and he's been liberated. We wrapped up the Visor 1 plot, and now we're making big contact with the main Andalite force, and it does not go well at all as far as the team is concerned. Um, the Andalites are as they've been shown in the past, uh, really mistrusting, uh, very doubtful, pretty arrogant, um, and they basically straight up question Axe's, you know, alliance or allegiances at this point. Um, they think he's siding with the humans, and they also think that they're trying to uh, detract from their uh, efforts, their war efforts on the planet. Alteran what was the planet. Uh, uh, one sec. I think you got it right. Anati, sorry. Anati, Anati homeworld. The the Andalites straight up think that these uh, humans are trying to, you know, divert the uh, Andalite effort from that that failing home (laughs) uh, war to come to the uh, humans world. And that's not really the case or whatever, but they just just ultimately get blown off and uh, it doesn't go well for them. So right off the bat, that's not doing anything for you. A little bit more Andalites, you know, dicking the kids. No, around. no, no. I I will absolutely say the beginning of this book is fine. How leading in from the last book and how exciting that book was and how uh, it was everything I was looking for in, in starting this end game. Um, I'm, I'm probably okay with the beginning and how it starts out. No, it's you- really my issue comes when when they go out to the sea, but we'll, we'll get to that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No, actually, in fact, my only main criticism of this, I guess, is that it was really predictable that again, the Andalites we've been shown numerous times. They're, they're not really helpful. I, we don't think certainly that they're going to be instrumental to like ending this war, uh, just yet. And, you know, it's honestly pretty predictable at this point that they're still unwilling to help. They wanted, and maybe they wanted one more book to really hammer that home. To get us used to the idea that the Animorphs, there's, there's no help coming, you know, remind us of that. Uh, yeah, yeah, that could be the case. And, you know, just to uh, raise the stakes once again, uh, make us feel like we are relying solely on this team of humans for the, the war on Earth. Um, in fact, uh, so after that big inciting incident here... Uh, the, the book cuts to a little bit later where uh, Marco is kind of chilling out with uh, Axe and Tobias in Axe's scoop. And uh, they have made this like makeshift kind of listening in on your uh, transmissions devices on, on one of Axe's like little computers. And uh, they happen to hear this snippet of a Yurk transition. And it's about the new Visor 1. And his Operation 9466. Uh, And that enough alone to pique their interest. Um, But they decide they need more information. And so uh, I think maybe I I would say that this beginning part is a little bit of the uh, weakest part of the plot, I guess. Because they spend a little bit of time on how uh, they need to hack the NSA and uh, it actually leads to a pretty important scene as far as like continuity is concerned, because Axe ends up Axe ends up breaking Ciro's kindness in a way. 
Did you yeah, I thought that this? was actually interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that was interesting, and I like how they did that. Um, but the hacking and the NSA thing, and they're making a big deal about it. We've kind of already seen that before in a few books, um, doing some similar things, and uh, didn't didn't do much for me here. No, I agree. Anytime they talk about you know like X hacking or doing anything computer related, we just kind of accept that he can do anything they need. And so it's very much used as a plot device to kind of scoot the plot along a little bit quicker, you know? Um, so let's see. Oh, one of the first uh, little dramatic readings I got for you here is uh, just from when uh, Marco, Axe, and Tobias are chilling out in the scoop. Um, and it is uh, about war and, like, how the Yurks have decided to, you know, move the war into the public. Um so let me just figure out where I want to say. I'm excited for these dramatic readings. Uh, you said you have so many of them, which I cannot recall a single thing in this book that needed a dramatic reading. There you go. Here, here's a cool little uh, nugget from Marco that is actually pretty pretty relevant to today as well. Uh, a lot of these uh, books, I think, were very prophetic almost, or maybe just history tends to repeat itself, but this stuff is still relevant today. Marco glared. I'd bet a million bucks if I had it that if the average guy in the street was told he'd better get ready, there was going to be a major war, he'd just laugh. He wouldn't even believe a full-scale war was possible anymore. The average person is too content. Would you prefer a general state of panic, I said? It was a rhetorical question. My point is just that people are complacent. All-out global warfare is a thing of the past. That's what people think, anyway. No one knows, or no one wants it, no one's ready for it. And who's going to believe Earth is about to be attacked by aliens from outer space? They'd think to call. They'd think a call to arms was just a publicity stunt for that show Roswell. Um, so, <laughs> Marco, I do have I do have an issue with the statement in general because I've thought about this a lot, and um, I do think people are kind of complacent. But nobody is ready for a world war to start, and obviously the aliens is a whole other subject matter. But as far as like a, a world conflict, a world war. Uh, no one was prepared for the first one. There, there, people hadn't been to war in in you know a, a century uh, on that scale. Um, so no, no one. It was young kids, you know, people not prepared at all for a war. Who went into World War One? And the only reason World War Two was any different was because World War One was so close to it that there were still people who served in the first one who then served in the second one. Um, so I don't think anyone's ever ready for a, a conflict at this scale. It's it's how they are prepared and, and jump into it then uh, that matters. Okay. Yeah, I can see your point. Um, I was also only half listening as I scouted out the next section that I wanted to read. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you for that. Well, you're there to fill time while I uh, decide what next to talk about. So, Oh, is that the podcast? Is that our podcast format? I've been wondering for a while. <laughs> thank you for that, buddy. Um, <laughs> so we've discussed how uh, they're chilling out, Max, and relaxing all cool. And I'll uh, listen to some Yerk transitions outside of the school. Um, Wait a couple of Yerks who were up to no good. Started making trouble in the neighborhood. <laughs> exactly. This is what you come here for, people. Uh, uh, we bet over that they, they have heard this transition. They're like, oh, no, Visor 1 is up to something. And who is Visor 1 now? Um, there, there's a lot of callbacks to previous books, in fact. Um, which is, is kind of nice. Uh, um, let's see where. Uh, blah, blah, blah. 
Visitor 1 is in Marker's mom, or Visitor 1 is in the new Visitor 1, who was Visitor 3? Well, they question who it is. They they even state, like, I can't believe that they would make Visitor 3 into Visitor 1 after, you know, what he's done. So they're a little bit doubtful, but, you know, I think we all kind of suspect that it is going to be Visitor 3 that has made the new Visitor 1. Which is really why they needed to introduce Visitor 2 at some point in this uh, end game because it's like, well, why wasn't Visitor 2 next in line to go to Visitor 1, you know? Um... I guess, yeah, I, I I don't know. And that's why we haven't met Visitor 2 before, because Visitor 2 was off-world. Um, Visitor 2, honestly, was probably the guy who was working on um, the the other Planets War. Um, the See, I always pictured Visitor 2 as, like, this high-level bureaucrat who he has such renown as being the number two because he's running things back on the York home world or something. But they really threw that uh, thought process down the drain with this book. <laughs> I guess so. Um, but they needed a, a semi-big bad, I guess, to introduce here in the final books. Um, well, anyway, after after this discovery, they're on their way to like regroup with the team, and um, and they they discover or they're talking about. Uh, now my own notes are confusing me. Oh no! <laughs> if we don't have your notes, we got nothing. So, Animorphs is a series about uh, five young children who can morph into animals. Thanks, Coleman, for that save. Uh, no, no. They uh, uh, they figure out that Visitor 2 is coming to Earth for this big military operation, okay? And uh, when they're talking about what they're going to do, they have a piece of uh, information that are like coordinates, and uh, X quickly figures out a couple of things. They heard about this uh, Operation 9466. Well, X figures out 9466 is, of course, Esplid 9466, which is Fizzer 3. Did you catch that? I did. Uh, <laughs> just now. No, I, I caught it in the book as well once they explained it because I don't remember Visitor 3's Yerk's name by heart. You know, he's Visitor 3. He's... No, the bad Andalite. I know. Only the hardcore fans remember the numbers. Oh, I don't think you were among those who were like, oh, yeah, 9466. Yeah, Visit 3. <laughs> what's what's Visitor 1's? Visitor, the original Visitor 1's uh, York name. Go. Wrapped up your head. Uh, I, I, I don't know. Oh, if you gave me time, I could search through my list and find it, but I'm not going to. Or Or Google. <laughs> No, my list is more trustworthy. Yasplat four eight two two. See, I would just made something up. Okay, so once they discover that these coordinates are actually latitude and lo- latitude and longitude and dates, they're like, "Oh my god, it's today! Ah, the prom is tomorrow. We've got to get going." And uh, they figured out that the coordinates are this military base that's out at sea, and it's a long distance, right? So. Uh, they have to take a little break here, and Jake tells uh, the team basically uh, that there are no more rules, right? Um, another cool thing here I, I just wanted to point out is that um, Tobias uh, recalls the uh, time travel adventure from uh, one of the previous Megamorphs books, meaning that it is basically canon that uh, you know Jake died in that alternate timeline. And all that stuff happened. 
Yeah, and, and you know, you get a nice little scene where, you know, they're ready to give up the rules of, of war so easily. Um, where Cassie's like, hey, we've been <laughs> we've kept these things and these morals this entire time. Why would we give them up just because we're close to close to the end? Um, which, I mean, I, I understand Jake and their argument of, uh, well, now we're just going to do whatever it takes to win. But that's what you've been doing this entire time. I mean, I don't it, it really hasn't. I think there's some merit to her argument here that uh, if they care about morality and how they act in war, uh, you should finish the fight like you started it if you're going to hold to those morals. If you just want to win, then just go ahead and win. I mean, there's there's a lot at stake here, but I thought that conversation could have even been longer. Oh, I, I kind of agree with you, sort of, but I guess that's why I'm going to read it right now because it's so awesome. Um, so they're, they're talking about how, you know, how do, we, how do we get that far out to sea in less than a couple of hours? We don't have a morph that's going to do it. So Jake says, <clears throat> finally Jake spoke. His eyes were dull, but his voice was firm. Things are different, he said. From now on, we take what we need. We do what we have to do, no matter what the consequences. Jake, Cassie began. There's only one morph that'll get us thousands of miles out to sea in the time we have left, he added. Human. Yes, Rachel thrust a fist in the air. Her face gleamed with pleasure. Finally, extreme yerk butt kicking. I did not express my opinion on the matter. Uh... And then, you know, you've got even Cassie here. Uh, I thought this book did an excellent job at adding to Cassie's doubt about what they're doing. And she truly starts to feel like she is a character that is just being dragged along, literally only doing what she has to, like bare minimum. Um, Because she even says right here, uh, Jake, everyone, come on, we've gotten this far without totally losing it. By following the rules of basic humanity, no one can deny that. And then, you know, Marco, again, plays devil's advocate and kind of does what he does. He's very blunt and honest about it. And, you know, he sees the direct path to the, the course of action they need to take. Um, it's just great that that already the team is kind of becoming fractured here. Yeah. And uh, I mean, when you get both sides of the argument, uh, I really do think up to this point, uh, as long as they weren't doing it for fun, they shouldn't have had any qualms about like stealing a car or doing anything else. Like those things, the stakes are that high that I think morally you could justify those things. But what we're talking about now is like, you know, it's what we've been talking about this whole time is morphing a human. Right. Is there anything wrong with that morally? Um, I never saw an issue with morphing a human personally, uh, because you, you're like creating a new person every time you morph. And uh, I guess you could have similar arguments about like cloning and morphine, like what you're creating a person each time, then you're killing them um, just by morphing out of that morph. But um, if they're willing to morph dolphin left and right, I don't see this in any issue morphing humans. No. Yeah. And I kind of agree with you. Morality is a very, uh, uh, very subjective uh, area. Well, look at it this way. Look at this way. Is there anything wrong in your mind with Tobias morphing back to human and then morphing out of it to go back to Hawk uh, when he's done? Do you see anything wrong morally with that? Absolutely not, because he was the original owner of the body, and it's just him having a return of his previous DNA. But what he's doing is no different different it's very than, different. So, than Cassie. No, no, no. It's no different than Cassie morphing a person. Now, if she takes that person and then goes and meets that person's like husband or something, and like, 
you know, th- they, you know, like talks to him or tricks but, him or something. But Tobias is morphing his dicey. previous body, so it, it is not. a slightly different. But the the question, no, the the moral question of morphing human is creating a sentient life and then taking it away uh, while morphing out of it. You're you're having a smart sentient brain. That's that's the issue that they brought up when they originally morphed dolphins. Is it is it right to morph something sentient because you're taking control of a sentient mind? Is that, that isn't that, that isn't or never was previously yours or under your control, but which is getting, not the getting, case with Tobias. You're mixing you're mixing up the arguments because that doesn't really matter that he used to have that body. We're talking about morphing any human. Is there a moral obligation or any problem with morphing? any human because you're taking over a sentient mind now oh, if you well, think about think it so. in the in tobias's <laughs> if you take it into tobias's account uh it's him taking over his previous body um which he's just filling in the mind gap he's actually the the thought process the thinking the brain of that body so if you don't have a problem with tobias morphing his previous morph uh his previous human form then you shouldn't have a moral problem with anyone morphing a husk of another human because they're they're the brains of the operation. There isn't another human brain there. That's why it's different from a yerk taking a host. Because okay. they're the brain. Okay, okay. As I said, morality is subjective. It's it's complicated. Uh I just now tuned back over to the stream and saw like there's a bunch of people and everyone's talking and you know, welcome US Dutch Kitty. <laughs> it's good to have you with us. Yeah, uh, they they bring up a great point in the chat. Um, if you've ever had a problem with Axe morphing a human, period, uh, that's no different than what they're doing now. Because they'd have him over for dinner. Or like, hey, we want to go to the mall and hang out. So Axe, morph a sentient creature and take over it for a while. Um, <laughs> you know, there's no, there's really no difference. Hey, sometimes you just have to go to the mall to eat cigarette butts. <laughs> yeah, Axe was forcing this human morph to eat inedible objects and even carcinogens, come on. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Bad stuff. Hey, while we're on the topic of morphing humans and whatnots, um, a, another cool trivia fact here is that this book marks the 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th, 20th, and 21st times that the Animorphs acquired and morphed a human that they hadn't already previously had. Uh, and Axe has acquired his 11th human by this point. That's 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 some stolen DNA right there. Yeah, I mean it's he's got quite a quite a uh, zoo of humans in his morphing cadre now. So he's, he's stored a lot of Pokemans in his uh, PC. That's for sure. Bill's PC. Um, <laughs> anyway, so so after this moral discussion, now we're getting on way to uh, to the aircraft carrier, correct? Yeah, I had a more uh, uh, stuff that I wanted to read between Jake and Cassie, just because it's it's really good in this book. But um, it's like like probably like a full page, so maybe we should just skip it. I guess. Yeah, let's get to the action, like this book <laughs> wants us to. We can. So this is oh man, I love this scene too because their their plan is crazy as far as like. I mean, it was literally presented as a crazy plan uh, from Rachel a couple books ago when they when when she went and stole the airplane and crashed it into the uh, uh, pool. Um So that's their plan again, basically, is we need a jet that can get us out there. 
And uh, the only way to do that is to sneak onto this military, you know, Air Force base, uh, take care of some of the pilots, incapacitate them, uh, acquire them, morph them, and get the jet. And it's just kind of a treat, I mean, to see them doing something so brazen uh, and so bold and, and you know, it's a very different kind of mission because they don't know if their controller's there or not. They don't really want to kill the humans, obviously, and they don't really want to be seen by them. Uh, Axe even approaches them a little bit more differently and kind of <laughs> interacts with them a little bit more nicely before uh, taking care of them instead of just, you know, sneak attacking them, whatever. Um it's just a cool little scene, and and to top it all off, Axe has Rachel along with him because she's the only one crazy enough to uh, actually, you know, climb into the cockpit of the plane with him, um, which was very fitting. Uh, the rest of the which, team morphs, uh, flees, and hides out on him. <laughs> which we should, we can all agree, I think, that they're dead the second they take that jet off, right? There's no way that Axe's experience controlling bug fighters in any way prepares him to fly a jet. It's <laughs> a very complicated piece of machinery. They they do the classic explanation that's good enough where, you know, they get into the cockpit and Axe has like a paragraph of investigating it and is like, oh, yeah, this is very primitive. Oh, I could definitely, you know, like that explains it all. And it's fine. Yeah, just whatever. Just because it's primitive doesn't mean you know which switch, you know, turns on the right buffer. You know, <laughs> <laughs> You don't need to worry about that kind of thing. Not here, anyway. Uh, and, and yeah, they, they take off, and uh, they don't get caught, despite, you know, uh, they, they are led on to. And, and <laughs> Real quick, uh, I've got to I've gotta address oh, Daniel boy. in the comments, because apparently I'm fighting everybody on this episode. Uh, yeah. Daniel, I would say that bugfighters being in a more advanced technology and having to be adapted to Yurks and the many bodies that pilot it uh, probably has more auto functions, as we've seen in past books. Uh, they have auto docking, auto piloting. Uh, so being in more advanced machinery um, and Axe being at least somewhat familiar with your technology, it's probably much more complicated for him to jump into a jet than, than control bug fighters. <laughs> I like Daniel Martinoli's comment. Axe could be a small village all by himself. <laughs> and he could if he can, can uh, uh, mix and match all those various human DNA components like he can with the, the original you know, team he uh, acquired. <laughs> Also, I'd like to give out whatever awards we give out to fans watching us on the live stream uh, for U.S. Dutch Kitty dropping uh, Independence Day reference. Uh, that's all I want out of our fans. Just constant ID4 references. I'd be happy if you even filtered out the the Independence Day and just gave me just concentrated gold bloom. That would be fun. Yeah, we just a gold. I don't know what that ham maneuver was, but uh, it was just, it was yeah. it was filtering the liquid of of Independence Day. See, it goes through the top, and then the gold. I would start out like I would a, start it like a thick musky mead. It's a new I one. would start a, I a Jeff Goldblum podcast right now. I would announce it on the air. Uh, I could fill years of content with Jeff Goldblum's body of work if we had time. But we don't, <laughs> we don't. because I'm anyway. trying to save the world by convincing everyone of the greatness of this book. Doing a bad okay. job. <laughs> Doing a terrible job. Uh, so they're, they're flying in a jet plane. 
Flingin don't know when they'll flingin be back again. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and this is cool, too, because I guess I don't know how well they thought this plan out, because as soon as they get the jet in the air, they're like, so, you know, we can't land this thing, right? Gonna kind of have to crash it. Uh now that I appreciate it because landing a jet on an aircraft carrier is one of the hardest maneuvers someone can do um, in any airplane. So I appreciate that they just decided to crash it. Yeah, totally. It, it actually made a lot of sense. So they they can't, you know, obviously land on the thing. That'd make no sense. And um, they're able to, to crash land in the water, eject out quick. Everybody demorphs, goes seagull, gets onto the ship in time like we knew they would. Um, so this is the USS George Washington, and uh, I, I think that's a real ship. I'm not sure. Um, but another a little element I really appreciated and thought was uh, uh, adding to somebody's character is the level of details that Jake studied about this ship and all of the uh, uh, military, Navy, Air Force information he picked up just for this mission. There's a point where... You know, they're all seagulls landing on deck, and Marco and Tobias just keep asking him random questions like, you know, what kind of fuel does this thing use? How many sailors are on this thing? Uh, so-and-so. And he's, like, listing off answers like a computer uh, to the point where Rachel and Cassie are just like, oh, you know, boys, nerds. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, even everything Daniel Martinoli uh, learned about aircraft carriers came from this book. <laughs> let, me, uh, let me just drop a little factoids on you are you gonna mention your brother what oh i was damn i was gonna say are you gonna mention your brother who is uh, a submariner namor no yeah if we're talking subs i'd be able to throw uh throw some stuff at you but no the uss george washington commonly known as gw is a 1092 foot long 257 foot wide and 244 feet high super carrier and can accommodate approximately 90 aircraft and has a flight deck 4.5 acres in size it was sponsored by barbara bush and uh was ordered december 27 1982 and just in 2017 went into a four-year uh refueling and recommissioning uh where they you know they fix it up they switch out plates they kind of modernize it a little bit so that's like that that's like our main uh uh ship right our biggest ship our biggest baddest ship um that's like well no uh, i think our i gundam. think we have <laughs> that's our country's have, gundam like, right there <laughs> we have quite a few aircraft carriers i think we have like 17 aircraft carriers um flying around uh so so this is just this is a pretty old one 1982 most of our aircraft carriers were commissioned in the 80s and early 90s um but i think we have a couple that went into went in production um in the 2000s so okay okay anyway it's a big ship and a lot of the uh the plot once they're on the boat focuses on uh you know figuring out visitor 2's plan figuring out who visitor 2 is uh there's a lot of uh treachery deception because they don't know which humans amongst all the flight crew and sailors and everything are controllers or not again common problem but now it's like super concentrated to the the ship that they're on so it's it's a very dangerous heightened uh, sense of danger kind of mission 
especially since the ship just crashing in the ocean several miles off has put Yerks on board on heightened awareness, whereas all the other uh, regular civilian soldiers or whatever, uh, I just kind of think it was a training error or something. They they sweep it under the rug. Well, yeah, uh, and they're, they're a ship this size, there's thousands of people uh, who are just on this ship and different communities and different you know, the, people don't know each other super well, so who knows how many Yerks or, or what is going on here. Plus, they're part of a battle fleet right now um, in the book. In the book, there's also some battle cruisers. There's probably some support ships. Uh, probably a nice little fleet um, who's part of this uh, book story. Uh, possibly. I don't know. Um, so, like I said, the mission in, uh, revolves around just figuring out what the Yerk plan is. So they all kind of split up and go their own way. Um, they, you know, Jake tells them, if you're going to morph a sailor, make sure you get his uniform and make sure you, you know, don't stand out, go where this guy goes, whatever. And Cassie's quick to point out like, yeah, but let's try not to morph humans. Yeah, uh, let's try, uh, you know, only if you have to. <laughs> now, like, here's, here's my first big problem with the book, other than the issues I've had so far. Um, this is very, like, there's not a lot of organization to what's happening in this book. They get on there, they kind of throw down the rules for how they're going to interact with soldiers and stuff very quickly, and uh, it kind of just throws you in, which I'm all for sometimes. Uh, but this book is so muddled and chaotic, and it's not in a good way where it's like, oh, action scene after action scene after action scene. I really think this book's kind of all over the place with what's going on. It felt very much, and I don't mean this, this sounds like just a dig to make a dig, uh, but it felt very much like the Atlantis book, where once they got into the city of Atlantis, uh, it's hard to figure out like where they were and where they were running to and what, what the complications really were. Um, yeah, this is just kind of all over the place. And uh, they were constantly repeating themselves and, and facing the same problems over and over again, and it just felt like the writing was all over the place. Um, yeah, no. I, I feel like maybe they did that to add to sort of the... Uh um, like franticness of the situation because a lot of this is acts just sort of like you said, uh, moving about the carrier, interacting with his team, and sort of trying to figure out this very generalized plot. You know, visitor two here, military, bad, something. World well, War no, III. and I, I get it. Like a lot of the things they're doing in this book is reacting to things that are happening. But I wish that the things that were happening to the boat could have been structured better so that the reactions were more interesting. They were kind of just going down this hallway and then going down this hallway and, oh, we're about to be caught in our morphs. Let's hide in here and let's go. It was just, oh, it was, really was, like, super chaotic. Uh, yeah, very much so. <laughs> Especially when, um, as, they're, as they're going around uh, the ship, um, the, the Chinese start to attack, supposedly, right? Um, they, they feel like explosions kind of rocking the ship. And, uh, uh, this is when sort of Axe starts to piece together. Like, you know, he asks Cassie, who are the Chinese? And, uh, Cassie's like, well, you know, there are other, um, basically the other world power besides us. And this is where Axe pieces it all together. And he even says, Cassie, we are witnessing an elaborate setup. The Yerks have just instigated a world war. And that's like... I don't know. I'm going to say it. Feel like maybe this should have been a Megamorphs book. <laughs> yes, I agree with you completely. I agree with you 100% that this should have been a Megamorphs book. Not just because I, I always want the Megamorphs books. I know we say that a lot. <laughs> but I'm saying that 
specifically to my main argument with this book is that it is it is a ghost written book. It's not written by Kay Applegate or, or Michael Grant. Um, at least most of the parts aren't. They they thank a ghostwriter for it. Um, this book feels like it should be a Megamorphs book or should it be one of the regular ghostwritten books because its plot doesn't play into the end game. Other than the few things they're talking about, like the morality of, you know, we're close to the end now, what should we do, blah, blah, blah. Besides those things, obviously, uh, and the Yurks coming out in force at the end of it. Uh, most of this book could have been a side plot, just like a regular ghostwritten book or a Megamorphs book, where, oh no, the world's a war if we don't stop this one thing. And then they stop it, and then everything's fine. Like, this doesn't progress the Yurks coming out to humanity. This doesn't progress the Animorphs families being in danger, other than how normally they're in danger. Hey, hey. That's why I'm saying this, this book isn't, it's not as important as, like, the last book. We're getting to it. I, I will just say we're getting to it. Okay. Hold your horses. We're getting to it. That's your argument. We're getting to it. Mm-hmm. By the end of this book, I, we're getting to it. Well, sure. I'm just saying, like, this book, you could take this out of the end game. You take this out of the book into the series would make zero difference. Uh, it would make all of the difference as far as the team dynamic is concerned. Uh, and all Daniel, of the difference we are, acts. Hold on, hold on. Daniel Martinoli says that we're not technically in the final story arc. And yes, they don't say countdown to the end yet, but the marketing materials from the last book on say that we're in the countdown to the end. Yeah, we're so technically from Scholastic, from Scholastic's point of view, we are in the end game. Right, right. No, uh, yeah, it's, it's a bizarre way that they've arranged this. I agree with you there. And perhaps you're even right. Um, because the Yurks are not able to accomplish all-out war in this book, it is postponed for a couple of books. So, yeah, there you go. Um, now, I will give now up you, you, you view that as not affecting the plot, but that's not the case. No, I, I do say that's not affecting the plot. Now, I do agree with Daniel when he said earlier... Uh, now, there is a part where Axe really defies Jake in this book, and I feel like that's important to the end, because like you said, <laughs> the group is starting to, to splinter a little bit. Walk and it that back, is... walk it back, walk it back. No, no, I'm just I'm, I'm pointing out one great thing that he said, is that uh, mm -hmm. it, this is, towards the end, they are starting to fracture, and we were talking about that, he was talking about it. Uh, that's true, this book plays into that. But again, you can take this book out of it, I'm and gonna Axe, to still does some, Axe still does some messed up stuff towards the end of the series that could have hey. uh, taken the same role. We're getting to it. <laughs> okay, I'm bringing them, right. I'm bringing them around, people, and we're getting to it. <laughs> so okay, well, let's continue on. As as you know, this thing goes. Um, after enough running around under the ship, uh, once things start to advance here with the attack on, supposedly, uh, they do manage to tail a well-known. Uh, controller Chapman, who's there? Why is he there? Uh, be a yerk. Uh, <laughs> vice vice principal of the the, the aircraft carrier. Uh, and then something random came out of the the air and hit Chapman. I love that old joke we had. It's been a while since I brought that back. Huh? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> headed straight for Chapman. <laughs> oh, Chapman's here. 
Uh, so they Melissa's on the flight deck running around <laughs> through through tailing him. They they figure out about this Admiral Carrington. He's kind of running the whole operation, you know. And they tail him, and of course figure out that that's a visitor too. It's not that surprising. Uh, after um, after tailing him uh, uh, into a little room, they kind of have a confrontation with him, and this is where we find out that not only is this dude like batshit crazy. He's all about starting World War Three, and, like, we're done with this war with the humans. You know, we're just going <laughs> to... We're going to blow stuff up, and then we're going to reap, you know, the benefits of the chaos that it creates. Well, so one thing I do think is interesting about this book, and maybe might bump my score a little bit, um, you do get a third perspective on how to conquer Earth in this book. So you've got, obviously, you've got the original Visitor 1's perspective of a slow infiltration. You have Visitor 3, who's saying all-out war. And then Visitor 2 is is yet another option. Uh, manipulation through, uh, you know, them being at war with themselves, us humans being at war with each other, and uh, weakening the Earth enough to, um, to be taken over easier. Uh, so it is a totally new path to taking over Earth that I find interesting. And that, that probably did come from the Applegates. Um, but I don't think the writer really jumped on that. Uh, possibly, but there is a reference to the Nazis where Marco says, I'm half expecting to hear him belt out a Yerk version of that old Nazi standard, Marco said. You know, the future belongs to me. <laughs> Which I guess I, nice I reference, haven't heard Marco. the song. Yeah, well, Marco, where are you hearing this stuff? <laughs> he pays attention to history, all right? His No, his dad's, like, playing it at home. <laughs> Marco's darker home life. <laughs> his his Hitler-worshipping father. Oh, and we just come to like him so much in the last book. <laughs> Did we? I thought, <laughs> I thought he was pretty annoying in the last book. Uh, I don't know. He seems like an all right guy. I'd probably chill with him. <laughs> chill with Marco's dad. Yeah, it's the weirdest thing either of us said on the podcast. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, after this confrontation with the Visitor 2, uh, figure out his plans, like, uh-oh, you know, World War Three. we thought we'd stopped it because we gave the uh, order to the one guy to cancel the attack, the incoming attack. Um, so that was a success, but the bigger problem is that this crazy-ass Visitor 2 is still around, and, uh, you know, they have him under control for a brief moment, but this is when the bugfighter reinforcements show up and everything just gets blown to crazy kingdom come. Um, and, I, you know, I make the comparison of Michael Bay movie, but that's really bad, honestly. It, it is. It just evokes an image of, you know, like explosions going off all over the place. And, and it's, it's not really like that. Honestly, I think this is one of the coolest effing moments in the entire series so far with... Actual alien bug fighters, you know, what we the reader and the Animorphs have been struggling with this whole time, are flipping attacking the biggest American, you know, war base that we have. That's humongous. This is a, a alien invasion that they uh, the government will be, you know, aware of and struggling to contain, right? Oh yeah, and I, I agree. Like this is cool that this is happening. In concept, I don't think it's, like, executed perfectly. And and by perfectly, I mean, like, excitingly. I don't think at any point during this I'm like, oh, wow, this is finally happening. And there's other parts of the series to compare it to where they do do that well. And and even I'll admit, I'll be watching a Michael Bay movie, and, uh, you know, there's parts of it that are... The, the first Transformers movie, I think, has some great scenes and some great action. Uh, it, it doesn't mean that 
the two through five aren't just absolute trash. Even if it entertained you for a minute, it doesn't mean overall um, you were you felt like you got something out of it or this was worth you know a really high score. And I'm not I'm not you know I'm not I swear to you I'm not just crapping on this book to crap on it. I honestly was so disappointed after the last book how great that was in the battle scene at the end of that book versus this one night and day last one there were stakes you cared about what the characters were doing you could visualize where they were in the space they were in within the yerk pool while that fight was happening i thought it was laid out super well whereas this one you can't even keep up with it barely it's it's just it's 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 so haphazardly written Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's as exciting as the concept is. <laughs> You've activated my trap card, sir, <laughs> because I've got a, uh, a readathon here for you that really moved me, really powerful stuff that I'm about to bring up to you. But first, I want to tell you about Dutch uh, Kitty's comment. Uh, he said, I just realized that this is almost the same plot of a Doctor Who episode, Aliens of London and World War Three. Um, which was probably, I would assume, after this book was written. Is that right? Because that sounds like a newer yeah. Doctor Who episode. Aliens of London, World War Three. is that's that. That's new Who. Doesn't sound like Matt Smith. It sounds like Capaldi, maybe? I, Dutch Kitty, help us? I'm not sure. I think it might have been uh, Matt Smith. Uh, it'll take a bit for him to answer here. but 2005. 2005. So 2005 would have been, um, is that Tenet? Yeah, that's Tenet. That's yeah. Tenet. Yeah. No, no, not Tenet. God. Eccleston. Eccleston, yes. Ah! You threw me off there, buddy. Anyway, I'm going to read this passage for you. This is great. So this is right after uh, the bug fighters have invaded uh, and, you know, everything is going to chaos. Um, As I said, the sailors and personnel that are on the ship that are actual, you know, human sailors are like, holy crap, like, what are these unidentified... These are actual UFOs coming down and attacking us. They're very confused. Suddenly, they're in a war with uh, uh, aliens. And, um, you know, you have other humans that are controllers that are uh, lurking around trying to search out for the Andalite bandits. Um, One such guy, you know, immediately attacks Axe upon seeing an Andalite. You know, their big weakness, their tell, is always the Andalite scum or whatever they scream at them for some reason. To To be fair, Andalites have the same weakness. Yerks! (laughs) (laughs) Get (laughs) them! But, uh, so here's here's a little uh, uh, reading from when all this chaos is happening, you know, and Axe is trying to desperately get back to uh, Visor 2 who ran off. Um, uh, oh, this is funny. I'll just start from right here. I followed. At the top of the ladder-like stairs, I halted. My Andalite body is superior to that of humans in many ways. However, as recent experience had confirmed, it is not ideally suited for ascending or descending the stairs aboard a human aircraft carrier. (laughs) No choice. Time was running out and I had to be mobile. I took my chances. Approached a rather tall young man in a purple float coat. Asked him politely for the temporary use of his genetic material and his outer layers of clothing. Fortunately, this young man was one of those who had realized we meant them no harm. Therefore, I was not forced to subdue him. The young man grinned. Dude, I'm honored. Borrow away and go get that alien scum. I acquired another human and immediately began the morph. Boom. That, that, I just got goose pimples reading that. That is like fucking... Yeah, doesn't that guy... Axe! Didn't that guy (laughs) get his, like, head blown off in, like, two seconds? Uh, no, because he morphs him and then he runs away. But no, he he morphs. No, no, he morphs and then he sees him on the deck fighting later and 
the guy gets killed. Oh, yes, you're right. He does see him later. That's true. <laughs> so that's, that's you know, powerful stuff. This is the first, like, human outside of uh, uh, the team that Axis really had one of these kind of connections with. And I think it really um, even goes to show how much he's, like, grown uh, a little bit because he, you know, does all he can. And the guy says, um, uh, oh, it's, a, it's actually later. I'm going to read that part later, too, when he's dying. So... <laughs> <laughs> Um, like I said, I, I, I get that, you know, you felt like this is chaotic and rushed, but I felt it was very appropriate given the situation. This is a real alien attack on our U S government. Um, a big deal and, and, you know, full on alien, alien attack on a ship carrier that our, uh, heroes are struck, uh, stuck on looking for one specific person is a pretty pretty horrifying situation. Um, everywhere on the ship, you know, uh, there's Hork-Bajir and Taxons just fighting sailors that are so confused and don't know why they're under attack. Um, and- Here, let me give let me give a here's what I'm talking about. Here's uh, I give an old school reference that I'm sure people are familiar with. Uh, Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. The books have many big battle scenes, like humongous battle scenes. Where you have characters spread out over castles and battlefields, and you're jumping in between characters, and, and all these things are happening. And there's many times that they have like things they have to do within the battles, like oh, we've got to go, you know, destroy these catapults, or we've got to uh, find this person while everybody's fighting around them and, and bring them out. And the way that they're written is so easy to follow, and 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 exciting uh where it's referencing the things happening around them but focusing on them where i felt like this book got too caught up in everything happening it was almost like a megamorphs book where it's trying to tell multiple perspectives but we were supposed to still be stuck in axe perspective and i felt like uh they didn't do a clear job of laying out exciting action for these characters to be impeded by uh they just had action happening all around them for the sake of action and they were jumping from one thing to the next, and their their goals were changing, but also repeating themselves. They had to keep finding Visitor Two. They had to keep finding. You know, I just don't think it was. I think it was very muddled in its own writing. And I guess everyone can't be J.R.R. Tolkien. I get that, but uh, you know, I I just don't think it was handled as well as maybe the actual authors could have handled it. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, I'm hearing you. I, I hear everything you say, and all it's doing is affirming my belief that you're just taking this all out of context. <laughs> no, I think I'm specifically taking it within the context of the book. The context is what I'm specifically talking about. All right, not not the overarching ideas, but the the how it was executed. Uh, frankly, I love that this is just kind of acts stumbling through this chaotic scene with a semi-vague goal and Jake is too flustered you know he's he's doing his own thing he's trying to navigate his team he's trying to do right by everybody and uh he basically just tells Axe at one point look Axe do whatever it takes to stop him I know you'll find a way I know you'll figure it out Whoa. do it I have the perfect reference to put this up against forget Lord of the Rings Megamorphs number three Elfinger's Gift, where they have to go back in time and they're looking for um, Subvis or whatever. And they're having to find him on each battlefield while all this chaos and all this fighting is going on. Those were amazing. Like, you look at um, 
Henry the Eighth and that fight. Uh, Henry the Fifth, Henry the Eighth. I think it's Henry the Eighth. Uh, the Battle of Agincourt. Um, you have them show up, and they know that they're looking for someone who looks a little cleaner than everybody else. And they start on the battlefield, and you get to see the horrors of medieval fighting right there. And they're stuck mm-hmm. there. Then they get out of it. Then they go on the look again. They find them. And then they're chasing them. Then they chase them into a church. And then they're impeded by the villagers who try to kill them for being demons. And then they try to get out the bell tower. And then they get transported away. Like, there's a clear path that they go on in a progression of this chase. And you have almost the exact same story plot here, except it's all over the place. It's back and forth and back and forth, and this is happening and this is happening. And it's just yeah. it's just not as well written. They, they don't need to show the horrors of war at this point. Like you said, that book did it really well. This point, uh, we're focusing on Axe and what he feels and what he thinks during this mission and how it's testing him and changing him. Uh, in particular, his dynamic with the team, especially with Jake. Now, and real quick, just Dutch Kitty in the comments, she says, I know Michael Grant did say that they didn't give as much detail on the outlines for the Ghost Rider as they should have, but it was such a crunch time between their own writing outside of Animorphs. I mm-hmm. get that. We all know we all know how these books were written, how they interacted with the Ghost Riders, and how some Ghost Riders just got it and some didn't. Uh, and, and that's fine. But what we're doing here, what the whole point of this podcast was, is do these books still hold up individually? Let's review them. I think this book was in whatever the circumstances is around the ghostwriting or how well defined the outline was. Um, I don't think this uh, this ghostwriter hit at home like some of the other have. I'm gonna read you another section here that I really enjoyed, and uh, I, hopefully it'll speak for itself. So this is um, after the the like captain. Uh, the overall captain of the ship, a uh, guy who is still just a regular human, um, is kind of he's betrayed by the admiral um, and shot, and he's he's dying, right? Mm-hmm. So he's pleading <clears throat> with the admiral and like Chapman or the controllers. He says, "Please help, take me below deck. I'm one of you. You're nobody." The controller shouted, "Your human host has served his purpose. He's dying. Save yourself if you can." The controller and the Horkbajir walked away. I approached. His eyes were beginning to glass over. <coughs> Still, they showed fear. I am not going to hurt you, I said. Then I saw the yerk struggling out of the man's ear. I let it happen. It would not get far. Awkwardly, I knelt by Captain Plummer's side. What have I done, he gasped. I tried to fight it. I tried. No one will blame you, I assured him. He looked down in fascination at what had been his stomach. I'm dying. Yes. He reached for one of his or one of my hands. I stayed with him until he was gone. That's like this is borderline traumatic stuff, stuff that would have been really impactful, like you know, early game. And uh, it's just like it's it's amazing to think of where we've come. That you know, an event like this is something that apparently is glossed over so quickly they, that you think it's <laughs> unimportant at this point. Yeah, we've had horrible things happen in some of these Christian books. And I again, I don't think it affects the overall plot. Maybe if we had uh, one of the other Animorphs uh, doing this role that Axe has and seeing this guy die and his, his you know host body die, that probably would have been a more emotional, impactful scene on that person. But because it's Axe and he's more familiar with war and he's less affected by it, honestly, um, it doesn't really hit home like it would if one of the human characters were interacting in the scene. Again, I mean, they could have done something more axe appropriate or something more you know, like a yerk on Andalite or something like that, but just a human dying. I mean, he's kind of like, 
even in the scene, how you read it, he's he's kind of removed from it, and he's like, oh, this this war sucks, you know. But you know, he doesn't. He just moves on to the next objective. Okay, he's very cold throughout it. Okay, that that didn't do anything for you. I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. you. But uh, I have another reading prepared that okay. will hopefully, I don't know, do some things for you. <clears throat> Prince Jake, I said privately, may I speak to you alone? Jake sent the others to keep watch on Admiral Carrington and his yerk. Now or never. Time is running out. It is clear that no matter what the consequences to himself, Visitor 2 will not give up the name or location of the U.S. nuclear submarine. Without that information, we cannot act to halt its mission of destruction. And once that mission is accomplished, the rest of the plan will proceed as the Visitor outlined. The slaughter will not end until the Yerks control the planet. Jake held his shattered front paw off the ground. Blood pooled between us. I know, Axe, but what can we do? I have an idea, I said. It is a terrible thing, I propose. A pause. Go on, Axe. I do not believe Visitor 2 will be stopped by anything less than the threatened annihilation of his own people. In this situation, here on Earth, the target would be the Yerk Pool. I waited, and I felt the shame warring with the desire, the need to win against the Yerks, to thwart the conquest of one of my peoples. The words of the Andalite morning ritual came to me, the destruction of my enemies, my most solemn vow. Finally, Jake spoke. Axe, I just can't allow that. I can't give the order. Billions of human lives versus 10 or 20,000, I said. He had to see. Had to be made to see. It was the only way. I continued. Many of whom are unwilling slaves. Many of whom would welcome death for the sake of freedom. No, Axe, I can't. You can't. What are you saying? Do you know what it'll do to us? And at that moment, hearing the shock and horror in my prince's voice, I knew I had made a dreadful mistake. I never, ever should have laid such a burden on my friend, my ally. Never, ever should I have asked a human of such superior quality to make a decision that would undoubtedly risk the lives of everyone he had ever known. That would undoubtedly destroy his home, his neighborhood, his city. That would utterly decimate his every precious bond to sanity. I was an Andalite, a member of the species some unkindly but perhaps rightly have called the meddlers of the galaxy. I was an alien. I would carry the burden. I am sorry, Prince Jake, I murmured, and then I hit him alongside his head with the flat of my tail blade. So very sorry. Now, some of you probably need a tissue, and I'd understand that. This is heavy stuff. And, uh, feel free to emote, because... Yeah, I'll go ahead and emote out of anger at how uh, how this author completely missed these characters with this scene. Uh, because long have we gotten past the point where Axe questions Jake. We were past that point. He's, he's resigned to follow Jake and believe that Jake's orders aren't just some kid talking to him. And I get that he, he's taking a different emotion in this part. He's saying, like, oh, okay, he has so much at stake. He can't make the right decision here. Uh but I think that could have been handled a different way that they still stuck to their characters. And who is this Jake who isn't willing to even uh, think about the thought of killing these Yurks in the Yurk pool and what that might mean when, what, five books from now he makes that decision and doesn't think twice about it? Like, why is he different then than he is now? Because this is the first time I, it's I feel happened? Like this... <laughs> Maybe, but they already were talking about this two books ago in Destroying the Yurk Pool. Destroying the Yurk Pool is no different than destroying the pool ship. Because so, the, the initial plan here was that 
nobody's dying in this scenario. We're here to stop war. We're here to stop the deaths. And then Axe goes, hey, um, I got a plan. It's unfortunately the only plan we have, and it involves all your family and friends dying. Um and, and you know, Jake is obviously like, "Whoa, whoa, what? No, let's let's talk. That that's not. We're we shouldn't be doing that." And Axe is like, "Oh my God! Like, I can't even I can't even believe what I just asked him or told him." Like, and and that's what it's really about here is that Axe um, realizes that this is the kind of burden that he shouldn't be putting on Jake. Um, Jake told him, you know. I trust you to figure this stuff out and you're going to do it. And Axe takes such a gamble here with what he does that it, it full on alienates him from his team. Really? Yeah. And in to the, to the people in the chat right now, I understand it's, it's not just about killing the Yurks. It's about killing all the people who might be affected by the Yurk pool imploding. I get that. But again, right or wrong or however, <laughs> you know, you want to handle it. We had a book two days, two, two books ago, where they literally excitedly talked about destroying the Yurk pool and only didn't do it because of Cassie. That was yeah, the only reason that, they were stopped from doing it. And they were ready to do it without warning anybody or doing anything. They were going to just do it. So this should be that should be more of the Jake we're seeing, even if that was handled by a different ghostwriter. Uh, that's already still been established. Why is he so hung up on it right now when they're in the thick of a battle versus before when they had time to think about it? Uh, well, I would say that, you know, Jake is really changing at this point. And like I said, he, I don't think would ever sacrifice so many people, you know, in order to accomplish goal. That's, uh, kind of where they're drawing the line, I suppose right now is that, you know, self-sacrifice or not self, but sacrificing others for their goal here. Um, they, they used to draw the line at morphing sentient creatures, people, you know, and we've seen them continually take steps further past what they're comfortable with. Um, and that's the great part about Cassie's story arc is hers is a character that just literally can't cope with doing that anymore. Um, Jake is the guy who's supposed to be arranging all this stuff. And, you know, not only does he have his friend's lives constantly on the line. Now Axe tells him like, Oh, and by the way, <laughs> your whole city, everything you do, everything you've fought for this entire time, all your family, friends, Tom, everybody, uh, they, they die in this plan. Okay. I don't want it to seem like we're glossing over the facts here. So in the chat, Daniel's commenting on the fact that, and I remember this as well in the previous book that they were having, they had no issue doing that to the pool. It really would have only killed, um, the people in the cages and the, the human controllers, uh, uh yeah. bodies, different situations. So that's what they had. Yeah. That's why they were okay with it because those people were already prisoners and probably wanted death anyway. So I, I agree. That's right. Destroying the city is a whole nother thing. Um, yeah, I still, I still think, that the way that they're talking to each other and the way that Axe handles the situation isn't completely in character, but I'll, I'll give it up that it's a different situation. Okay, okay. Well, I'm, I mean, uh, you know, I'm just trying to uh, convince you why this is so cool. Um, the death of millions is so cool. <laughs> it's rad, dude. Um, but yeah, like, I could imagine this as like, you know, if this were an animated cartoon show, this would have been like, Definitely two-parter, if not three-parter, with uh, uh, you know, <laughs> with Axe knocking Jake out here and and kind of going rogue. Uh, it's it's the first time he's ever like taken that extra step to be like, you know, 
not only am I going to defy my prince, I have to <laughs> actively stop my prince from stopping me from accomplishing this plan that he doesn't want me to do. Um, and I'll admit to it, that that in concept is cool. You know, this is what separates the warrior from the prince, someone who's willing to knock out their own prince when they think they're wrong and and uh, take what they believe is the high road or the, the road that'll win the war. Um, it's very, it is very Andalite of Axe, what he does. Uh, but I don't think, again, it falls in line with uh, how Axe has changed as he's been on Earth. No. Um, Personally. So, yeah, and, and here's another cool thing is, like, um, Axe sees what he has to do, right? And this this resolution uh, as a reader is not something I saw coming either because I'll, I'll grant you that. It, it is a very strange wrap-up uh, where Axe is, like, literally the only thing – we can do in this situation is try to convince a madman to call off an attack. This situation, unfortunately can't be solved by fighting. It can't be solved by, well, it's going to have to be solved by talking, but it currently wasn't. But X sees the way to force his hand by saying that, okay, me and him, we're going to get in that jet, uh, which he has Rachel and Marco help, provide and and prepare for him even though marco is like look dude i know what you're doing and i'm not for it but i don't have a plan so i guess i gotta let you go and uh hope that you can take care of this um so axe's plan is essentially to just get the madman in the jet with him and like we've been talking about threaten to blow up the yerk pool which huge huge consequences obviously if it were to happen i think it would have been a cool cliffhanger honestly if they left it right there with a will they won't they um, but you know, obviously it works. The, the visitor two is convinced that, uh, apparently the one thing that the Yerks are afraid of, of course, is, you know, being responsible for the mass death of their main Yerk base, their Yerk pool on earth. Right. And he can't have that. So he, he does that. He calls off the attack. Um, which, which of course is a success for everyone, but really, even though the day is saved, this is one of those books where the real like problem or damage that's done is how it's changed the dynamic with our team. Axe has essentially put himself back in the corner because you remember his allegiances have been tested time and time again, and he's always come back to the team. He's always proved himself like a valuable resource, and now it's left us in a position where he straight up attacked his prince, defied orders, went rogue, saved the day, but also kind of threatened to murder everybody that our characters love. So now I will, I will give you real quick. I will, I'll give you some props. Uh, not you props, but this book props, give them to me. Um, <laughs> I'll get, I'll give it a, a gold star for, uh, if they're using this book in the applicant's outline or whatever she gave the ghostwriter, if they're using this concept in the story to kind of reset everybody to how they were at the beginning of the series, that's kind of cool. I, I do like that, that they're kind of putting, they're putting Cassie back into that, uh, moral high ground with what she does in the next couple books. I, I know a little bit about that. So I know they're going to do that specifically with her. Um, and yeah, putting Axe back in that alien corner, like you said, uh, I'm all for that. That's cool. So I'll, I'll give it a gold star for that. Okay. Okay. Good. All right. Thank you. Uh, I'll pin it on my wall. Um, and I mean, that's the book. So we're, we're, we're done with the official plotline of the book. Um, it kind of cuts off, honestly, really abruptly with Axe and Visor 2 still in uh, the cockpit. So maybe in the next book, you know, there might be a blurb about how Axe 
I'm assuming Crash lands the jet. No, he has to land it to, to guarantee Visitor 2's safety. So there's got to be a bit in the next book about, you know, Axe landing the jet and getting out of there and then regrouping with everybody. And I'm assuming an awesome killer scene with Jake just, you know, stern dad look like, Axe, you son of a bitch. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, if it's okay with you, since you already kind of know where I land... Um, let me do my review real quick. Is that all right? Do you want to do yours first? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Just, just. I'll, you can see how how far you've swayed me. Um, <laughs> so I agree that a lot of my disappointment comes from how well the last book was written. I really, really enjoyed the last book. It's everything I wanted from the first reveal of their, you know identities to one of their parents to the the war starting out right to visit one's death um man it was such a such a kickoff to the end of the series uh, i loved everything about it i was very hyped about it i still give it a four out of five just because i thought you know for the reasons i gave it uh mostly because of it its role in the end of the series and, and where we're gonna get from there but um i loved the last book i was i was riding high after it so excited that right after I finished that book. I jumped into this one and it was going from the highest to highs in this series for me to right back into the ghost written. Uh, this book isn't trash. It's not horrible, horrible, but after how high the last one had me, this was a huge knockoff, um, in quality for me. And, and it's, it didn't progress the story. It didn't, it didn't push forward where I'm so excited for them to get to. Um, I mean, that's my fault and my own expectations, um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I can't say that I enjoyed this book for the most part. It's, it's action wasn't exciting for me. It had a lot of monotony and, and, uh, repetition, um, Axe's motivations and what he was doing. I, I didn't really care about his, his troubles in this book and what he was struggling with. Um, it has some cool parts. It has some, some great, um, moral fighting and, and, and philosophizing about end of the world and uh, how war changes when you're about to win. Um, that stuff's great. I, I loved it. Uh, but, man, yeah, I, I'm really... Um, I really can't say that you completely convinced me that this book is more than, um, you know, a little bit of filler in the end, in the end game. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's got some highs and everything, but I think I'm going to have to give this... Um, if we had a 2.5, I'd give it a 2.5, but I'm going to give it a, a 2 out of 5 green jumpsuits. That's nuts. Um, it should at least be yeah, 3 I know. from your perspective. I almost gave it a 3, but I, I, I was really down on this book when I read it, and uh, I don't think it ever climbed high enough to be more than just another ghost written. Okay, all right. Hey, um... Well, I'm sorry that, like, you didn't feel as strongly about this, because honestly, as soon as I finished this one, I was so ready to record and so excited, and I'm still there. I'm surprised I got, like, as amped as I did tonight to talk about this, because I didn't think I could get there again. But just going through it again, oh, man, (laughs) there's so much good here. Um, So right off the bat, I find it odd that you really enjoyed the book about the Animorphs coming out to their parents, but you didn't really enjoy the book about the Animorphs coming out to the U.S. government? <laughs> this is essentially what happened here. Um, and, and, you know, okay, it's, it's no surprise I love this. This is a five out of five for me, obviously. But I'll tell you why. Character progression, especially with Axe, 
Uh, there's there's just more of Jake being on ghost mode uh, for being a leader. Um, in fact, I happen to know that the next book is all about you know Jake's struggle with being the leader. I believe this is his final book where he makes up uh, the decision, you know whether or not he's going to continue the fight as leader. Um, but that that's neither here nor there. We get you know more of just tired aged Jake being leader, um, even relying on Axe to do the right thing, and that's what drives this fracture and this character development that we're going to start seeing sliding into the end of the series. Lots of good character development with Cassie becoming kind of this, almost like a heel to the team, like she's being drug, uh, drug along on all their little antics, you know. Um, she's just so done with it, like we saw in the last book, and the book before that, she's just... Um, uh, she, she will do the bare minimum of what's necessary, but God, she feels bad about it. Uh, Rachel's not really particularly given much development, but she's the only one crazy enough to go along with anybody who's willing to escalate the craziness of their missions and plots. Hence, she's all for stealing the jet and doing all that stuff. Um, Marco's great as the voice of reason. Um, in particular, when he gets into little morality debates with Axe is really cool. I just, I dig that stuff. Um, Tobias, Tobias was pretty well utilized as well on this kind of mission. Um, uh, I, I just thought good character interactions overall. And this was definitely the big kind of step up to a plot that, uh, uh, I think we'd been needing for a little bit. I mean, the last book was awesome. Like you said, um, and I gave that one a five, but after reading this one, I feel like, oh man, that last one should have been a four, and this should have been a this is this is five worthy, right? This is what I want out of an Animorphs book. It's it's just so awesome, and uh, for me, it it will always be my favorite Axe book, and I think a five out of five, ambiguously allied Andalites. Um, now let's see, is there anything else we wanted to talk about from this thing? Uh, I mean, my whole pitch here is is my justification as to why i think so highly of this book so um what do, what do you got now what are your thoughts no i think i think it could be our reviews could be different just based on what we look for in an hour's book like my favorite axe book is is when he really accepts jake as his uh as his prince and and, and really feels like he's um you know, coming into human society and, and living amongst humans. That's, that's what I care about in Axe book is, is almost like what I care about with Superman. Like when Superman, Superman doesn't feel like an alien, he starts to feel human. And even with all his crazy powers and everything, uh, those are the Axe books. I love him, him talking about his race and uh, how he's starting to see them as not perfect. And um, you know, this, a crazy action book where Axe is just coldly, making cold Andalite decisions and, and, you know, about to end World War III. It's just, I don't know. I don't care about the stakes. And I care about the stakes in general with the plot, but within this book, uh, it just wasn't that. It's not what I want out of an Axe book. So you know, it could just be that. You, uh, you, you bring up somewhat of a good point, I guess, in that I would have liked to see them do a slightly different uh, character arc for Axe instead of just, um, you know, is he Andalite or is he human? Like what, what's, what's going on there? Um, I, I really wish they'd have given him more of like the warriors kind of storyline where he starts to become, you know, more like Elfengor was, which he certainly has done a lot of cool shit to prove himself throughout the series, but they've really put the focus on, like you said, you know, this will, he won't, they, uh, kind of back and forth between his alliances. And I just feel like that kind of pigeonholes him into this, this, 
character arc that um, unfortunately maybe drags on a little long. I mean, that's been the focus of just about every single one of his books. Right? You know what I would have? You know what I would like to see with his arc? I think it would have been really interesting. They never would have done this because they wanted you to like Axe. But I would have really liked Axe coming to the conclusion that he's not one of them. And he flat out is like a double agent working for the Andalite interests and like in communication with the Andalite like uh, military and trying to and sometimes undermining uh, the Animorphs to progress the Andalite motivations. That would have been cool if he was like the entire time a double agent who had to reckon with the fact that he did like these humans and he was friends with them. But he was always going to put his own race first. That would have been a cool arc. You know, I could have seen him doing something like that. Like maybe even when the Andalites uh, return, um, or not return, but when the Andalites arrive on Earth, their full force, he does go back to them. That would be cool if he did that turn, you know, turncoat 180 and was like, oh, my Andalites, I'm back with you. And Which he does, like, he does a little bit. Oh, sure. He does sure. a little bit he, from he, the books I've read. Well, he tries to work with them, yeah. But um, if he had full on been like, oh, no, I'm back in with you guys. Guys, you know, um, turned tail on the Animorphs and made the Animorphs think he was a traitor. And then to only in the end of the series prove that, no, I, I did this all for you guys from the beginning, you know, and pull a Snape there. That would have been a, a fine uh, uh, arc I, I would have liked to see Axe at the end of the series sacrifice one of his fellow Animorphs uh, for his own goals. That that would have been a killer, a killer emotional uh, punch. Like, he lets Rachel die or something. Cassie. Not, not Rachel. She, Cassie. Yeah. No, Tobias. He lets Tobias die. No, uh, he can't so let his Shorm die. That's the only reason I think that, you know, they didn't do this whole, like, betrayal plot is because he had Tobias's Shorm that he felt, you I know, know, like, I know. I'm with. So, uh... It would have been great if he betrayed the idea of Elfangor in trying to be more like Elfangor. Elfangor. That would have been an interesting, like, psychological plot. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> they could have done a lot of things, but, boy, um, you know, I love the book, and uh, I, I'm glad that we had one of these where it was wildly differing opinions. I don't think that happens enough. That's kind of cool. Mm-mm. So Yeah, especially the end of the series where we're supposed to be so hyped on everything. Uh, I was surprised to be kind of down this one. I'm I'm extremely excited to read the next one. I'm, I'm going to jump into it probably tonight um and then we can get the next episode out faster but okay yeah uh, so the the next episode by the way is uh animorphs number 47 the resistance this is a jake book and i feel like this one uh is the final like series continuation book after it the countdown begins um yeah and jake books have always been my favorite every single uh, one of my favorite books has been a Jake book. So Honestly, I um, have only read about half of this one because I didn't care to continue reading it once I started. Um, ooh, ooh. So okay. I, I, I look forward to finishing it. Um, so, so lower my expectations, maybe. However, however, I do want to say that uh, in the back of my book, um, they are already advertising for the Elemis Chronicles, which I find kind of odd. <laughs> Yeah, it isn't. Doesn't that land between the second to last book and the last book? Yeah, and we're still we're still you know minus ten books away. So, a little premature celebration in the end zone. But I mean, they they knew what they had. It's it's one of the best books in the series. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, that's our review of uh, Animorphs: The Deception. Um, I really hope everybody involved comes back for more because stuff is about to get crazy. 
Yeah, I'm sorry if I put anybody off with how I felt about this book, but we, we still, we're still trying to be honest. Walk That's the whole back, point of this walk podcast. Back, walk it back, walk it back. No, no, no. That's the entire point. The entire point of this podcast is for me as a 31 year old to look back at this book and be like, does this stand up with the entertainment and the books I enjoy right now that are targeted to my age? And that's maybe that's unfair sometimes to these books because they were written for such a younger audience. But we don't care. That's the entire point of why we started this podcast. So uh, sometimes we're going to disagree and, and we're not going to put on rose-colored glasses to, to look back at this stuff. So There you uh, go. Yeah, that explains it perfectly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, come back next time. Let's hit the plugs. Yeah, yeah. So uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, this is your first time checking us out. Uh, probably not. But if you are, uh, we appreciate anything that you can do for us. So we have a Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash ThoughtSpeak. Um, you can go check out there. Uh, donate to the show. That helps us pay for the cost of the show, uh, our website, our server, uh, all these fancy you know webcams and everything we have going on. Uh, that helps us progress the show and make it bigger and better and um, we really appreciate everyone who, uh, who contributes on Patreon, and we give them a plug every show because of it. Um, if you can't give us any money, or if you just don't want to, or if you just don't agree with the idea and concept of money in general, uh, you can go on iTunes or wherever you listen to our podcast and leave us a review. Give us reviews uh, and ratings. Those are a fine currency for us. They are. They're great. They, they bring more people to the show, and uh, we just had a, a redo on iTunes where we lost a bunch of ratings and reviews, so... Uh, we, we appreciate anything you can go up there. It helps out the show an insane amount. Uh, so we appreciate anything. Wherever you listen to podcasts, leave us a review, leave us a rating. Um, it's greatly appreciated. Uh, you can check out our website, thoughtspeakcast.com, um, for all the latest episodes and news and kind of just some more blog-type material. Uh, we have Facebook. We have Twitter, at Morphcast. Um, just, just if you Google ThoughtSpeakCast uh, or ThoughtSpeakPodcast, you'll find us pretty quick. And so, uh, yeah, just interact with us anywhere on there. Check us out. Give us some likes, comment, share us with your friends. Be like, yo, check out this book review podcast. It's funny. Whatever. Uh, we enjoy interacting with all of you. And this live streaming is really fun. Can't wait to continue doing it in the future. Um, like Coleman said, please join our Patreon. We need you. Um, that said, we look forward to the future with all of your lovely faces. And uh, I've been your host, Mitchell. And I've been Coleman. And uh, I'm thinking we'll see you next time for another Amazing Thoughts Week. Later, folks. <laughs>